This is the Future of the Future show. I am your host, Mateo Berbejillo. Brian Childress, thank you so much for being with us today in our call. Um, we're going to talk about, a, I think, a very interesting uh, topic, and I will let you intro yourself and talk a little bit about what you do and everything, but to just uh, uh, give an intro to everyone listening on what we are going to be talking about, is where did all the architects go? What happened to this uh, profession and why is, why is it more important than ever and how you can make room for it in your organization? So I want to start with asking you, Brian, about your story and how you became the architect you are today. Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, Mateo. It's it's really good to be here. I would say that my path to you know my current role in the work that I do has not been a straight line by any means. Um, software is actually my second career. Uh, my first career path was so far removed from software as I know it today that it's almost comical. Um, but you know, thankfully. Uh, I've found my way into software and have had a really uh, great career and opportunities to join some really fun organizations and projects, work with some really great folks from all over the world, and being able to solve interesting business problems uh, with technology. Amazing. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the organizations that you've been and, and, and the role you played in some of those organizations. Yeah, so I started out my career as a, a software developer. Um, my first start was in uh, geographic information systems. So I worked with organizations that were collecting a lot of location-based data, doing analysis mm -hmm. on that data, and then ultimately displaying that data in various forms, whether it was an interactive uh, portal, you know, web application to large printed maps. Uh, from there, I moved into healthcare and had an opportunity to work uh, as a government contractor across a number of different government organizations in, in helping to use software so that we can provide better medical services to our uh, population. Uh, after uh, leaving kind of the healthcare world, I had an opportunity to then move into finance. Uh, I worked with organizations that did um, you know, mortgages and banking, um, also worked with organizations it doing alternative investments and building software that allowed us to analyze uh, current and future trends in financial data, surface that data so that we can then make better uh, business decisions. I've also worked in consumer SaaS products, uh, building out uh, you know, SaaS applications, I'm working on a project now that's focused on cybersecurity and behavioral change as we can um, better uh, support organizations from a, a cybersecurity and application security perspective. And that's been a really fun project to work on. Uh, so really kind of across the board, but I would say predominantly most of my career, I've had an opportunity to work with um, some interesting problem spaces and typically in, with very highly sensitive uh, information and data, uh, specifically in the healthcare and finance space. 
Thank you, Brian. Very, very interesting. Um, as we dive deeper into what the role of an architect is, what can you tell us about that? What are the main responsibilities of an architect? I think the role of an architect is an interesting one uh, because it can vary across organizations and across projects. Typically, the architect is someone that has uh, a deep level of technical knowledge. Um, they also have a broad uh, sweep of technical knowledge as well. So they understand kind of a very broad ecosystem and then a deep you know, set within that ecosystem. So you're, you're kind of typical T-shaped developer. They also will uh, have a really good understanding of how technology plays a role in the business and being able to tie uh, business goals and initiatives to the technology and how can we better solve um, the desires of the business with technology. Uh, architects tend to have a longer um, kind of purview uh, or view of things. They're, they're looking at, you know, at least 12, 24 months out to make sure that the organization is in a place that is able to support some of those bigger business initiatives moving forward. Um, but really, the, the architect role, um, I think it's very unique within organizations. Uh, me personally, um, I've, I kind of have played, you know, not only a, a highly technical person and being able to help design and troubleshoot uh, certain scenarios, but I also play, you know, almost a, um, a confidant or a therapist in many ways in working with different uh, individuals, uh, engineers, and teams across the organization because I, I bring a bit of a different purview and perspective. And I think that has allowed me to really um, grow in my roles that I've held as an architect. Very good. And that, and that drives us actually into our next question, why are architects important? Is it because of that, the way that you tie technology to business, the way that you were talking about that perspective, that uh, long-term vision that you always have? Um, why, why do you think architects are so important for organizations? I, I think that's exactly right, Mateo, uh, that an architect is good at understanding how technology plays a key role in the business. And I think that's something that as engineers we might lose sight of is that the business is there to support its customers and provide you know, great value. Um, and technology is just there to support that effort. If there's not a business, then unfortunately we don't have you know, a role uh, as an engineer. And so it's important for us to, to maintain focus on what is the reason that we're here? What is it that we're trying to solve? And let's make sure that we solve it in the most effective and efficient way so that we can continue to grow and scale as an organization. Very good. Brian, is a CTO the same thing as an architect or an architect the same thing as a CTO? I'll have to give the obligatory, uh, it depends, uh, answer yeah. to that one. Um, I think there can be some overlap uh, in the CTO role and the architect role, 
Um, a, a good architect could potentially be a good CTO, but I don't think necessarily that a good CTO has to have, you know, a, a strong background in software architecture. I don't even, you know, it, depending on the organization, think that a strong CTO even needs to have a strong background in engineering. You know, I think understanding all of the pieces that are required uh, to support a, a strong technology organization is important but I don't think that they're necessarily uh, one in the same. Um, great architects may not have a desire to take on uh, the role of a CTO and everything that that comes along with that particular role. So again, I think it does, uh, it does depend on, on the person and the organization. Got it. Um, do you think architects are out of fashion? If the answer is, You know, whatever it is, actually, why? <laughs> um, it is interesting. I do think that the industry as a whole has shifted and the you know, quote unquote role of an architect, I think, has changed. The, the ivory tower architect that many of us have, you know, potentially worked with in the past, I don't think that that exists as much in the same way as it has in the past. I think there's... In order for an organization to successfully use the role of an architect or you know, for a, an architect in an organization to be successful, I think that they have to be much closer to the action than architects have been in large organizations in the past. And again, that's kind of painting with a very broad brush, but I do think it's important for architects to kind of understand what it is that their teams are working on, have a bit deeper understanding of the technology and, and how uh, that plays a role into day-to-day -day development. And so I think the, the role of an architect has shifted, um, but it still has some importance in the organization. Uh, there may not be one individual or you know, a group of architects within an organization any longer. I think they're going to be much more spread out, mm -hmm. uh, just given kind of the, the state of um, what organizations are kind of shifting to with more independent teams, with more autonomy. Uh, the, the responsibilities of the architect have to uh, evolve as well. Okay. So my next question is going to be what makes a good architect and you touched a little bit on it right it's it's no longer the ivory tower architect it's someone that gets more involved uh into the day-to-day -day and and into actually the weeds right is that it's that part of it what makes up a good architect besides that i think a, a good architect yes has strong technical background they're you know they're probably not writing production code every day, um, but they are able to jump in and understand a, a large um, picture of the, the technology landscape. I think a, another good quality is that a, an architect is able to work with and gain trust among individuals and teams, and, and not in any type of manipulative way, but it's important for an architect and others within the, the organization to have a good, strong working relationship. 
because they have an opportunity to provide some very unique perspective and mentorship in the organization. Um, you know, I, I think it's also important that a good architect, they've, they've been around a little while. They've seen some things. Uh, they are able to help the organization kind of see around those blind corners to understand what is the potential impact of some of the decisions that we're uh, making today and how is that possibly going to play out in the future. Uh, so I, I don't think that it, uh, just having a few years of experience really gives us enough um, of a view into that future as we might like. So I, I think a, a good architect is, you know, kind of a seasoned technologist uh, in many ways. Very good. Um, Brian, you are an architect at Calendly and you provide fractional architect and CTO services. You have a lot on your plate, right? How do you manage your time? How do you manage through all of that? You're absolutely right. I do have a lot on my plate. Um, and the way that I manage that is just through hyper-prioritization. Um, I'm fortunate in both ways that I have flexibility uh, in, in the time that I can put into my work. Uh, family is also very important to me, so I want to make sure that I'm available and present for them. And so, you know, it's, it's very focused on prioritization. Um, I have a, uh, I try and hold a, a fairly strict routine. Um, I'm not always successful, but I, you know, strong morning routine, uh, and then, uh, a day, you know, my, my typical workday routine. And then I have tasks that I will kind of work on later in the evening. So it, it's very much a combination of um, there's a lot of a lot of things going on um, now. In that, uh, the way that I stay organized, I I live by uh, regular kind of notebooks. Uh, you know, I prefer analog for collecting a lot of notes. Uh, I also have uh, a few different tools that I use to you know collect notes and develop my own personal playbooks so that I can keep resources uh, available and handy so that I don't have to remember everything. Um, also live by my calendar. You know, typically, if it's not scheduled on my calendar, then I, you know, it's not high enough of a priority and it, there's definite potential that it will get missed or forgotten. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a fun kind of balancing act right now to, uh, to be able to do both. How many notebooks do you burn through? Like how fast do you burn through a notebook? Uh, so I use, I love these, you know, kind of the 50 cent uh, composition notebooks. That's my mm -hmm. go-to. Uh, I'll burn through one of those probably every two months. Um, okay. I, so I organize myself with my daily uh, schedule. So the, the important meetings that I need to be a part of, any to-do tasks, and then from there, uh, any notes that I'm taking throughout the day. So you know, typically anywhere from one page to many pages are taken up in that notebook every day. And it is kind of nice because I have collected those notebooks over several years. So I do have a lot of great notes and resources that I can refer back to if I ever needed to. Um, so those are the, the things that tend to carry with me uh, across projects and across roles. Very nice. 
do you, I, I'm sorry about asking too many questions about the notebook. It's just I love it and I do something similar. Do you go back to your notes? Do you let me tell you what I do and let's see if you do something similar. I okay. do the weekly vision of you know pending items and like I, I like putting everything in one page so I can visualize the thing in one page. And then on a daily basis, I do something similar for that day, right? But less notes, very, very simple, like the three or five things I have to achieve that day to make it a successful day, right? But many times what I do is I go back to like the last month and I read all of my notes to keep myself on track and then to do the next weekly kind of pending tasks view. Do you go back as well to your notebooks or do you just keep on the, on, on, on the present and future? No, I absolutely do. Uh, I think it's great to not only remind myself of the progress that has been made, the tasks that have been completed, or the the opportunities that I've been able to uh, to be involved in. But I think it's also important to make sure that nothing is getting missed, right? If I didn't check off a to-do list item, I can go back and revisit that. Maybe it's no longer important, or now it's even more important for me to to take that into consideration. So. That's really why I like the tactile nature of a, a physical notebook and being able to flip back and forth across those pages. Um, now, you know, I, I certainly can't search it in the same way that I could if it was digital, um, right. but I do, I do prefer that format. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. What are the biggest challenges that you face as an architect? I think so. The my particular role, uh, I, I serve you know, somewhere between, let's say, five and seven different teams. Uh, they're kind of within a couple different groups, uh, but they are, you know, there's a lot of teams and it, on each team is a number of different engineers and product folks and uh, folks involved on the team. And what's even more challenging with that is, you know, we're, uh, I'm working in a, a fully distributed team. Uh, so asynchronous communication is incredibly important. Uh, and for me, across all of those different teams, trying to stay up to date with all of the conversations that are happening. Um, it's not just being involved in one team. I'm trying to be, you know, stay up to date across many, many teams. And so I found that to be kind of the biggest challenge is just to, to stay aware and keep others aware of important movement. Uh, and things, and decisions that are being made, and uh, ideas that are being surfaced. I just I don't want to lose sight of a lot of those things. Um, and again, kind of going back to the notebooks, I think that's where it's important for me to go back and review my notes, just so that some of those things don't fall through the cracks. Uh, but I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, that I have is just kind of trying to to be in all the meetings and be in all the places uh, when it's just not possible. Do you reject many meetings, invitations? I mean, you, you have to be very mindful of your time managing so many teams, right? Do you find yourself saying no to meetings? How do you manage that? I, I absolutely do. Uh, and it, you know, you want to be involved, or at least I want to be involved in as much as possible, right? That, that kind of fear of missing out. Um, but I, I have to be very um, diligent in my calendar. You know, I, I kind of live by my calendar. Now, I, I, because I support I know, a number of different teams and initiatives, I want to kind of keep touch with as many of those as possible. So I will kind of stagger the meetings that I attend based on the initiative or the, the team. 
uh, and making sure that I'm uh, you know, trying to give as much uh, attention as I can. Um, I also very much leverage uh, recorded meetings. So if it's something that is going to be recorded or I can ask to be recorded, I will. And that has been uh, kind of a game changer because I can go back and review those recorded meetings you know, at a, a much faster speed and get through the content. Uh, and I could do that when it makes the most sense in my uh, schedule. Very nice. You manage a lot of teams, but you also manage a lot of different technologies in a lot of different projects, right? And you were just mentioning that at the beginning of our conversation. How do you keep up with all the new technologies out there? Yeah, that's a it's a, a fun challenge, but I think one that I really enjoy and, and part of the reason that I've been drawn to technology so much is that there is always something out there new to learn and kind of play around with. For me, um, I'm very much a an auditory learner and very tactile, so I, I like to... Um, listen to a lot of different podcasts. Um, I'm I'm the person that's going to to ramp it up and listen at 2x speed, maybe more, uh, and to, to get as much content in. Um, I subscribe to a number of newsletters that allow me to kind of keep a, a more broad view of the technology ecosystem. So it might not be particular industries or technologies that I'm currently working with day in and day out, but I am able to keep an eye on things so that if I need to, uh, you know, if I take on a new project and need to dive into a specific set of technologies, then, you know, I at least have a, a rough understanding of what that ecosystem currently looks like. Um, I'm also a big fan uh, of, uh, you know, a select group of YouTube channels. Um, so, you know, one of the, the hacks that I have is I'll watch uh, recorded, uh, you know, conference sessions uh, you know, that might be posted out on YouTube or something. Um, and I'll, again, kind of watch those at, you know, an increased speed while I'm washing dishes or something along those lines. I found that a great way to kind of double uh, use that time to uh, to keep my learning going. Very good. How do you... Um, is it possible and how do you differentiate between very useful new technologies and fads, right? Just things that will be in fashion and out of fashion very quickly. Yeah, I think that's, it's a skill that's typically learned with time and experience, honestly. We will see a lot of repeated patterns and, and technologies evolve. Um, yeah, I, I think you know, leading edge and bleeding edge technologies are really interesting and really neat. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll certainly play around with them and, and follow their docs and their tutorials just to kind of get a, a taste of what's going on there. But for me, when I'm making those architectural decisions, I lean very heavily on what I call boring technologies. They're the battle-tested, tried-and-true, industry-leading technologies they're not going to be sexy. They're not going to be the most exciting. Um, but, you know, I know that I can find engineers to work on those technologies. I know that there's sufficient documentation and support across the industry in some of those technologies. And so if it's not something that 
doesn't exist out there already that I, I need to really adopt something that's leading or bleeding edge, then I tend to prefer not to for a project that's going to be, you know, bigger and longer lived. Um, but yeah, it's important to kind of see where the industry is going and, and some of those frameworks and languages are pretty cool uh, to play around with for sure. Very nice. Um, I like what you said, and and that probably, when you are working and consulting for for companies, that might be or can be a difficult conversation, right? Because engineers love working with new stuff, uh, sexy technologies, building new things, and sometimes you gotta be kind of the bad. I don't want to say bad cop, but yeah, the bad cop that say no, let's you know either use this platform that is already existing or uh, use this technology that is not as sexy, but it's going to work and we will be able to find people. So does your role ever get political in, 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 in terms of making those tough decisions? It, it does. Um, I, I don't like to, to necessarily always think of it as a, a political kind of, you know, someone has to win. Uh, but I do think that there is a balance that we can strike. Um, again, the needs of the business and how can we best support the organization growing and, and building software to support our customers is, I think, paramount. It's one of the most important things. Now, you know, I'm an engineer at heart. I love playing around with new technologies and I don't want to be playing, you know, building and using yesterday's technologies either. So I understand that desire. And I think my role is an opportunity to identify some kind of smaller areas where we can bring in some, some new technologies or new approaches, new patterns, so that we can kind of keep keep thing keep the organization and the, and the software moving forward. Um, we can keep engineers excited about what they're working on, but we're also not putting the business at risk by adopting something that may or may not uh, be adopted uh, across the industry and ultimately um, will leave the organization in a w much worse place if we were to adopt something that uh, kind of goes away. Very good. So lots of communication, lots of communication with different stakeholders in the in the organization. And sometimes you, you have to build the consensus within all of them, right? How do you do that? How do you communicate effectively with all of the different stakeholders? You're absolutely right. Communication is key. Uh, whether we're in the office or like many of us in a, a very distributed environment, uh, communication is paramount. And I think that what it's taken me a little while to really understand is that everyone hears and receives information in different ways. So we can't uh, just put out a PowerPoint and expect everyone to have read it and understand it and take away the same meaning from that information. I think it's important to share the same information across multiple different mediums, uh, whether it's written or verbal, uh, you know, recorded video or recorded meeting. Um, and we have to do it multiple times. We can't just do it once and expect everyone to have received that information. It may have you know, fallen through their inbox and just never be seen. Uh, and I think it's important to make sure that you're getting the right information to the right person at the right time. 
You know, so what's the level of information that's important for us to understand right now may be very different than the level of information that we need later on in the project or by a different group within the organization. So kind of know who your audience is, um, I found to be very important when communicating uh, information. And we had to do it multiple times and we had to provide probably a lot more detail than we would expect, right? Because, you know, we've been much closer to the information in the problem than others have. And so we need to, to level set and bring everyone up to speed before we can then uh, kind of roll out any type of changes or, or new ideas. Is there a little bit of education going on sometimes with some of your stakeholders before making a decision? There absolutely is. There is absolutely an opportunity for education and not only for myself to educate stakeholders, but also for stakeholders to help and educate me in better understanding um, the challenges that they have and the problems that they're trying to solve for. So I think it's, it's very much a collaborative effort in that way. Very nice. Brian, do you have um, a type of customer that you prefer? You work, you provide fractional services to many customers. Uh, do you look for a particular type of customer? Do, do you know that some customers work better or some maybe are not ready for the type of services that you provide? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think the my ideal customer, um, you know, they, they have uh, a technical team. They have a group in their organization. They may have a, a CTO and a a handful of engineers that have been building out a, a project or a product, and they are looking for help and guidance in that effort. Um, I really enjoy coming into those organizations because that gives me an opportunity to not only jump in and, and you know solve some interesting technical challenges around the software architecture, but also taking a look at the processes and how is it that we're developing software and collaborating on that effort. It also gives me a great opportunity to help um, you know, mentor engineers and, and leaders and stakeholders in the organization as well and provide kind of that you know, strong background, that mix between the technical and the business side so that we're all you know, effectively kind of rowing in, in the same direction. And so I enjoy you know, where there's already a team and we're already working on a, a product um, those tend to be the most fun projects for me. Very nice. If someone is listening to us right now um, and they will be interested in talking to you, is there a particular contact they can use for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm probably most active right now on LinkedIn. So if mm -hmm. they want to find me, um, Brian-Childress on LinkedIn, uh, I'm happy to connect uh, and, and have a conversation. If there's anything that I can do to help, I'm I'm happy to do it. Very good. And for our audience and everyone that wants to become an architect, likes what they are hearing, what will be your advice for for any young engineer or anyone even you know before picking up engineering? What will be your advice for someone that wants to become an architect? I think the the typical advice that I give is it's incredibly important to understand the fundamentals um, and, and not even necessarily data structures and algorithms to start, but really understand the core underlying technologies. So if we're going to be building web applications, for example, I'll, 
the foundations there would be HTML, CSS, and then JavaScript. Uh, really understand those core technologies before you overlay any frameworks on top of that. That's going to give you flexibility to be able to move around if you understand the core, you know, the underlying, uh, you know, languages within that. You can better adapt to the changes in the frameworks and, and how the industry seems to be evolving every you know, year or less. Uh, from there, I think it's also valuable to understand how other systems work. How do things play together? What piece uh, in the, the infrastructure, the organization, the, the software um, do you most understand? And then try and um, at least get a rough understanding of the other pieces and how they fit together. Uh, find the areas that most interest you and then go deep into those areas. And that, that starts to build out your kind of your T-shape of your, your developer profile. Um, and then on, if you're looking, you know, you've got some experience as an engineer and you're looking at the architect as a potential path, look at how other systems are built and how are other systems designed what you know could you improve in that design what you know is most important for the business at that stage uh, you know i think that's something that we might have a tendency to over engineer on uh, so try and just identify how could i build something that is effective for us right now but allows us to evolve and grow in the future. And, you know, there's a lot of great examples and resources out there that can help in those, uh, in understanding those pieces. Very nice. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm already thinking about a, a new potential podcast with you. So hopefully, uh, there will be an opportunity. I could talk ages. Um, and I appreciate it. I learned a lot today. I know that the audience is learning a lot as well. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a pleasure. <laughs>